You're listening to episode 13 of the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. I'm Jason Tucker, and I've settled over a billion dollars in copyright claims for the world's largest studios. Over the last 15 years as the expert pirate hunter, IP problem solver, and enforcer, I have helped shape copyright law, the processes, and the landscape that exists today. So how do you keep your IP organized, protect it from pirates, and make even more money off of your content? With real-life insight and stories from the trenches, this is the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. We're going to talk about how you can survive litigation, tools, and negotiating tips. We're going to cover basic psychology in a lawsuit, helpful tips to keep your sanity. I'll jump between negotiating and talking about litigation because they go hand in hand and play out until there's resolution. Your takeaway should include a general understanding of how you can negotiate or at least be open to dialogue, actual cost of litigation and the real prices you could pay, why your typical lawsuit should be a last resort, why your goal should be to get out as fast as possible, some techniques to help you through, what it means to go all in, and then towards the end, I'll provide uh, real examples from client cases. This may be dry at times, but hang with it. Hopefully, you think that there's a lot of good information in here. I think there is. If a situation calls for it, go for it. But most situations, people think call for a lawsuit may not. Now, please don't think that this advice is intended to stop you from making any move. I was recently accused of sounding defeatist in a podcast where I was talking about what you could do when content was stolen. So please hear me. If another party needs to go a few rounds or a full match, by all means, bring it. I will gladly walk you into a minefield and watch you blow yourself up. I may even take pictures from my memory book and remind you on holidays with a card. Now, I'd rather not have to expend that energy, but know that for me, that's like going to the gym. I feel great. I feel energized and I'll celebrate. But most don't like or want that level of confrontation. I will shoot for a win-win, but we'll party just the same with a win-lose. Typically. People don't like what they perceive as confrontation, so it can seem easier to outsource all of the elements of a conflict to a professional. But that professional may want to milk you for a bit. Lawsuits are easy to jump into and hard to jump out of. Negotiations, on the other hand, they can be a hard in, but a fairly easy out. Your professional may not want to milk you, but the other sides might, and that'll cost you. You want to be pragmatic. You want to be prepared. And you want to kind of keep in mind you're going to war. Lawsuits are a great tool. We use them for a host of tactical reasons, but like any tool, you need to know how to use it or you will hurt yourself. I've been involved in over 500 intellectual property cases. I've been involved in many more disputes and disagreements. Uh, In my early days, I thought that lawsuits were the first thing that we should jump into. And after years of hands-on experience, I can tell you with a level of certainty that for most people, it should be a last resort. It's costly, not only financially, but for many, there's a real physical and mental price to pay. I'd like to caution you to stay away from quick throwaways, like I'm going to sue you. Unless you're prepared to have a case filed in a courthouse within 10 days, if you say I'm going to sue you and you don't in a timely fashion or at all, you've given up any credibility you had. And to people like me, you've shown your hand. I will purposely call you out to use that as a tool to try and flip a negotiation in our favor. My most common response to they said I'm going to sue you is great. Ask them by when. Am I looking to get our client into a lawsuit? No, but if the other side's serious... Uh, or not, it's a great way to find out. Uh, Some may suggest that's a little brazen. Look, I'm not looking to delay a filing. I know on an intimate level what's involved with a protracted suit. I'm psychologically geared up for it. If I've done my job well, my clients are geared up for it. After this podcast episode, hopefully you will have a theoretical idea of what that looks like and feels like as well. 
and some tools to help you through it. So when situations start brewing, uh, kind of a, of a point A to a boiling point, I like to learn everything I can about the team on the other side because you can gauge movement based on that. Now, I'm aiming for a win-win, but I'm prepared to fight a war to get there. And if you're not, don't. Just don't even take the first step. You want to use tactics to your advantage, and if you don't, at least be aware of them so that they're not used on you. My best advice is always be open to talking at any point. Now, some may think they're not comfortable with negotiations, but remember, life is a constant stream of negotiations. Being a good negotiator doesn't mean you have to be a hard ass. Quite the opposite. There's a difference between applying pressure and being an ass for the sake of being an ass. When I'm negotiating, I'm not looking for ego strokes. I'm working to produce a successful outcome. That's my focus. Some people, again, like dragging situations on so they can bill you for the time. I like getting what we need and getting out. And since I may have to deal with someone again, leaving that relationship as nice as possible. I may not like you, and I could give you a list of pirates who don't like me and what I do, but they do answer my emails, and there's a level of mutual respect that exists. I would suggest that uh, a lot of the time, that's only because of the way that I may have treated them as we attempted to seek a resolution. Herb Cohen is a negotiating expert who in 1962 coined the term win-win. He's masterful. He successfully negotiated large mergers to the release of hostages held captive uh, by the Palestinian Liberation Front on the cruise ship Achille Laro uh, in the 80s um, with some good PR. That negotiation earned him the title of world's greatest negotiator. He's written books about negotiating. My point is, is that he has seen and experienced enough to have a 10-mile high view of how to deal with situations. And he brings a basic philosophy to his negotiations that I adopted. And that is, if you treat people nice, they will treat you nice. They may not always treat you nice, but you can still treat people nice. Listen to the other person, respect their position, and ask yourself how you can come to terms. Keep your demeanor amicable, and when necessary, admit to what he calls calculated incompetence. Say, I don't know, when you don't know something. Hear me, there is real value in letting another explain something to you. In win-win negotiating, the goal is to bargain fairly and openly so that everyone's needs and desires are satisfied. Now, I would suggest that this definition can be flexed as needed, meaning you can be open with some items and use tactics while also being fair or reasonable. A win-win in a piracy dispute could look like a pirate enterprise not using your trade names in their searches or ad buys. They paid an agreed-upon amount to satisfy the infringements that took place. They're no longer using your content, or they're using a portion uh, with an upsell on an affiliate link that you've agreed to to your full price item. Now, ideally, there's a written agreement with all of the terms that they will follow and a clause for any future dispute resolution. Now, everyone knows their roles in that scenario and what happens if they step out. Win-win, done. Another scenario could be that they took your content down, didn't reply to any correspondence, but haven't put it back up. Now, you didn't get paid. However, they aren't stealing your content anymore. Win-win, done for now. This is not always achievable right away. Remember, this is like playing poker, and poker's a game of skill. You play the player. Now, I'm not claiming to be a master negotiator, but I can negotiate. Some people like to play games for the sake of playing games. They need to play a game in order to feel satisfied. As it relates to cases, as it relates to your attempt to bring about resolution, realize that some people, the other side, the other company, the emotions that you're dealing with may require you to play a little poker or use some techniques.
there's huge value in it because I've sat in negotiations with people who, uh, unless they feel like they're getting a deal, they just won't settle. Now, does that mean that you, you have to not get to where you want to be? No, that just means that your approach when you, when you sense that need needs to be different. It costs you nothing to tee up your offer like it's a deal. You need to realize in that moment that you're playing poker and you're negotiating for a win-win without it being at your expense because by definition, that's a lose-win. What is effective? I think it works a little differently for everyone. I believe that due to a cultural upbringing, we're predisposed to go to certain responses or take certain positions. The initial come from may be driven by one's culture. This isn't based on race, it's cultural differences. I was raised in Los Angeles and influenced by New York and London, and as a result, I have certain come-froms and certain lingo. I use the word dude a lot. There are ways I approach situations as a result. I have a predisposition to think and act a certain way because of my childhood and my life experiences. Human experiences and lessons shape our core responses. So culturally, here's a way I've seen that play out. This is not intended to offend, nor is it an absolute, but this is how I've seen it play out more than once. So I think it's valuable to be aware of it. And like South Park, I'll attempt to be an equal opportunity offender so that all are offended, so no one's offended. Um, If you're negotiating with someone from Eastern Europe, they don't necessarily see cultural right and wrong as it relates to intellectual property theft. They see it as a method by which they're going to make money and the rest of it's inconsequential. Now, that's important to understand. The rest of it is inconsequential. More often than not, they don't appear to give a shit about the fact that you spent time, money, resources, energy creating your work and trying to market it. Their only goal was to make money with it. Now, you could say, yeah, that's true for all thieves, yes, but. And here's a big but on that. Eastern Europeans think that when you call them out, all you're really doing is stopping them from making money. And who are you to do that? All of those other elements that you think about, the creation, etc., aren't even a factor. So realize that going in. Now, again, not saying that when you deal with all Eastern Europeans, but you should look at it from that perspective. Where are they from? How could they think? Israelis, similar situation. They will dig in and fight you to the end. They like to be pot committed. Understand that. They need to get a deal and need to feel like they beat you. If not, they will stay pot committed. So position yourself in such a way that when you're explaining a situation or negotiating, it's as easy as saying, you know what, if we could settle this right now, I'll take 10% off or 15% off and we can finish this off right now. Um, I, 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 I just can't go on. Uh, that works, by the way, for most people in the United States as well. Again, this is not an intended to offend. It's just a notice that I've had. Canadians, very nice people, two main types those who model U.S. behavior, and those who model behaviors you see in France and Germany. So again, positioned and willing to put up a fight, but they'll only fight for so long and so hard. Unless they're really from somewhere else. If they're from Canada and a couple of generations deep, the fight's only for so long. French Canadians will fight you a little longer. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that you should dig in with them. It just means that after a couple of rounds, they may be softened up enough to have an actual conversation where they might not have been willing to previously. The message and theme will be the same. Try and work out a deal. Use tactics, but you don't have to use them for evil. You can use negotiating tactics to manipulate another quite successfully. Now, some may see this as bad. Uh, There are two definitions. Uh, Manipulation, the action of manipulating something in a skillful manner. The second being the action of manipulating someone in a clever or unscrupulous way. I'm sticking with the first, skillful manner. 
Life is all about manipulation. I'm sure at some point you convinced someone to be with you, to go out to dinner, to give you a job. Someone else convinced you to give them a job. If you've ever had sex in your life, I'm pretty sure that you said some things and they said some things and somehow that may not have been totally truthful, but it was enough that the mission was accomplished for all involved. Win-win. Use that as an example because that was a negotiating tactic you utilized to get what you wanted. You were on the giving or receiving end of something and well, hopefully it worked out and both sides were satisfied at the end of the exchange. I use this type of example when someone's in that state uh, because you're dealing with raw emotion. And if you can come from that place of understanding, ask yourself, what would it take for me to get what I need? If you're in a situation uh, and they're just not seeing it your way, what would it take for them to sleep with you? How could you best seduce them while not lying or giving everything over? As odd as that may sound, that may neutralize some of your energy right away and change the way that you approach the situation. It really can cause a shift. I regularly thank who I consider thieves for talking to me. I thank them for every step we take as we move through a negotiation. Now, am I doing that to be condescending or rude? Absolutely not. I'm thankful for their choice to give me what it is or do what it is that I wanted. If nothing else, I'm talking to them and thanking them for talking to me and being a decent human being, at least engaging in conversation, because I know that from that can come resolution. That may take a while to get there, uh, and that's where a lawsuit can help push that objective to a goal. You may be thinking, enough of this talking bullshit. I want a lawsuit. Okay, you're going to war. Gear up. Know this. No one likes to be sued. Most don't like to sue others. It's exhausting. It can quite easily get very expensive. Fast. And it doesn't always make sense to both sides. Going to war does not mean that you have to be mean or not empathetic. Your goal is to bend will, not necessarily kill anyone. In our culture, many are taught that if you're involved in a lawsuit, then you must have done something wrong. Many clients over the years have felt dirty uh, or as if they themselves had done something wrong by being involved in a lawsuit, even when they're the plaintiff defending their rights and not the defendant. I would suggest that you blow the fuck out of that myth. If you have no other choice to settle a matter, why not use a judge or a jury or the tools, the system, the law provides you to garner a solution. Ultimately, you're looking for satisfaction, not annihilation. Satisfaction. It may not ultimately be all you hoped for, but it may be what you needed to end the issue. Try your best to stay neutral with someone on the other side so that you can leave the possibility of settlement open. They may not be happy about a lawsuit, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be open to discussions no matter how heated the attorneys or sides appear to be. I remember as a kid, there was a movie with Matthew Broderick called War Games, and Broderick's character, David, initially unbeknownst to him, hacks into the U.S. government's computer, the Whopper, that runs war scenarios to figure out the best way to fight and win a nuclear war. The computer also controls the U.S. nuclear arsenal. David, thinking he's playing a video game, inadvertently starts a cycle that almost leads to nuclear war with Russia. The computer he hacked... Uh, is purportedly somewhat intelligent. And in the beginning, it presents him with a list of games. The computer talking to David asks, how about a nice game of chess? To which David replies, no, let's play global thermonuclear war. That kicks off what almost brings us to World War III. Towards the end of the movie, to try and stop the computer from launching missiles, they program it to play tic-tac-toe with itself, 
a virtually unwinnable game that puts players into a spin cycle. The computer overheats, theoretically exhausting itself, then reboots. And upon reboot, it now supposedly has this fresh take. At this point in the movie, the end of the movie, the computer says, Nuclear War is a strange game in which the only winning move is not to play. And then the computer again proposes that they play a nice game of chess. Everyone cheers and the credits roll, all live to have another day. Now, that movie, to me, sums up what can easily occur in a litigation strategy, or I call case. Good intentions, quick decisions that probably required more homework at first, dangerous long-term consequences, emotional spin cycles, escalating cost cycles to maybe get to an end where everyone decides that what's being proposed may be worth taking. Or maybe you just keep fighting, appealing, pushing forward until one is maybe destroyed and the other prevails. At this point, if you push too long against an opponent who's not of means, you may have bankrupted them, and now there's nothing to collect. It's why when we decide to dig in, I make sure that the other side has money or assets we can seize, and I know how and where to get it. The ideal move in any situation is to settle it out and not have to go to court. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. My point is that lawsuits are exhausting, and even if you can compartmentalize, they will always bring an emotional element. You should allow yourself to be upset. Uh, if the content and issues your music or course, or art, photograph, video, it came from you. It carries a personal level of attachment, and that carries an emotion. When your individual work gets stolen and used, you are going to feel violated, and you have a right to. You should be pissed. Hear me. You should be pissed. But it's what you do to manage those emotions that can carry you to a better place. Now, being mentally prepared is more important than anything. Good litigators, experienced attorneys, consultants, advisors, managers, talent agents, they are masterful at managing expectations and weathering the storms with you. But you also need to be prepared. There are highs and lows, levels of frustration, and what was famously presented by former Secretary of State Donald Rumsfeld called known unknowns. Uh, let's give credit where credit's due. The term was purportedly coined by uh, NASA Administrator William Graham. It refers to risks you are aware of that may or may not or could occur, known unknowns. As Rumsfeld put it, there are things we don't know that we don't know. I would add that when those things show up, you will be tested. So let's talk about techniques to calm the noise. I, too, go through highs and lows and levels of frustration. I think I've gotten better at dealing with emotional swings. I am far from perfect. I do attribute my ability to better normalize my reactions to being able to see what is possible. I can play the possible scenarios out, or at the very least, the worst case scenario. That satisfies my worry and eases what is otherwise uneasy. I use what uh, Chris Voss, former FBI negotiator extraordinaire and author of Never Split the Difference, great book, and the FBI refers to his tactical empathy to gain a wider perspective on a situation. I use it internally to calm myself and externally to move a situation. Now, Chris says, tactical empathy is knowingly and intentionally influencing your counterpart's emotions to make deals. It's recognition of their perspective and articulating what you see in a strategic, even proactive manner, especially when you don't like their perspective. Now, though its intended use is to facilitate movement in a negotiation with others, I also use it to calm my self-talk. I negotiate with myself as if I was negotiating and getting movement with the other side. It's a little role play. Now, I also use a technique called screen of the mind to help me see a perfect end result. Screen of the mind is about visualization. 
being able to create and see what is possible using whatever tools, people, elements, or things you need to make that a reality. Then holding that space to allow it to influence a desired outcome. Now, if that sounds out there, it is. And, and, and I know it works. I don't know how. And this may be one of the few areas of my life that I don't need to know how. Once I do that and feel, I feel like I have a handle on the situation. So as out of control as that situation may appear to be to the outside world, I chill out. That doesn't mean I'm not proactive in working. It means that I'm clear and as a result, more functional. But does it all work? Well, when the other side files responses that include statements that I know are just bullshit or so far skewed from my truth, it's a flashpoint. But I don't let that feeling drive me. This ability, when honed, can extend to all areas of your life. You can apply what I just shared to any relationship or situation because they invariably play out the same way. You have to have a real stomach for litigation. The best way to even scratch that surface is to know what's involved. Now hear me, you have to be prepared to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to get satisfaction while knowing that satisfaction may never come. I'm not trying to sound like a fortune cookie. I'm absolutely not trying to talk you out of suing another. Let me be clear. I believe that lawsuits are the perfect tool to set and run a clock on a company, person, or persons to affect a desired result. Here's a slice of what I mean. When you file and serve a lawsuit on another, they have a certain amount of time to answer. This means that they need to get an attorney and reply. Then you respond to their reply and it goes on. And I'll cover that in a bit. The point is, is that there's a clock of sorts running now because they have to answer. There are real consequences for no action. You just raise the pressure. All of the threats that may have occurred or doubt, the bullshit that was thrown back and forth, end. Jokes are over. Game day. You now set a deadline and the pressure's on. Your opponent now needs to spend time and resources on defending their position. That pendulum swings both ways. In many instances upon getting served, though, uh, or within six months of getting served, we're able to facilitate a settlement. Offers that we put forth before uh, seem more reasonable. Again, there's a softening. And remember, that clock is running, and the costs are running for both sides. So they may not like the idea of settling, but they're willing to settle. And you know what? That's okay. So what about feelings? Um, they seem to come up. Um, yes, I'm cringing a bit. I care about understanding the feelings of an opposition for the sole purpose of being able to use it to my advantage. Now, that doesn't mean I'm rude or mean. I sincerely want them to be in a better place with long-term potential, but that is completely up to them. I will add that the only immovable term we ever want is compliance. So why bend uh, or be willing to? Uh, pirates don't typically stop pirating just because you settled with them. So you might as well help them out and get yourself into a better situation. Get what you need and secure the future of your content. That possible outcome of better is up to them based on how they respond. Now, though that's know that that's still on my terms or terms that I am or our clients are amenable to. Many attorneys, um, plaintiffs, defendants, people, they like to go for the kill. And we see that play out all the time. This trade organization shuts this site down and then uh, that site's gone, but another one pops up and now they want to shut that other one down. To me, that sounds like an expensive game of whack-a-mole. It takes no time flat to replicate a website. Great, you shut down a .com. Now they have a .net or a .to. What does that really accomplish but headlines? That's ego bullshit. It's not solutions. 
Torrent Freak, great publication, torrentfreak.com. Torrent Freak recently wrote an article about a research study that was done that shared under certain conditions, stolen manga content was helping drive sales. I would suggest that this could be applied to any content. It can absolutely drive sales. Shocking. Point is, unless you have a chance of physically killing them, they aren't likely going to stop. This is going to require you to make some tough choices, but they need to be measured and thought out, and it can be difficult. But get creative with your solutions because creative works. I'm not a pussycat, and I'm far from innocent. Over the years, at times, I've had to systematically dismantle all that was good around a pirate to end them and their operation out of the courts. This has consisted of applying various levels of pressure from different areas, um, cutting off ad revenue, their ability to process, forcing hosting changes, and, and well, other means. Uh, I've, no, I've, look, I've notified foreign governments of certain illegal activities by pirates in their home countries. That's resulted in some very bad things happening to some people. But hey, I offered an alternative. They made their life decision. What else should you expect? If you file a lawsuit, meaning, again, sue someone, prepare yourself mentally, physically, financially, spiritually to spend at least $100,000 and be involved at times for about two years or more. Come to terms with the fact that you may or may not get to the merits of a case for a year or more or ever. This means that you could spend a year or more fighting over whether or not a case can be heard in the U.S., whether that person or company you're suing can be liable in the U.S., it could take you a year or more to find out who the pirate is and who, if anyone, owns the infringing site or did the infringing act. That in itself is frustrating because in these instances, you're spending time and money just getting to a place where you're able to address the actual theft and use of your work. Your case may never get to that place. A pirate could get a case kicked out for jurisdiction issues or other issues that have nothing to do with the reasons why your case was filed in the first place. Sound nuts? This is why litigation should be considered a last resort, and when you play it, play it like it's three-dimensional chess. If you want to hear why I keep stressing be prepared, let's look at the timetable of a typical infringement case. Now, just hearing what I'm about to share may exhaust you. If you jump, know that I have a list of walkaways at the end that you'll still want to remember. If you feel like this is too much, notice that, and as you jump to the end and bail out, remember, uh, please, to leave us a review. And also the fact that you jumped out here. So again, think twice about uh, filing a lawsuit. So using a real case from years back, I'll attempt to illustrate what a U.S.-based case where both parties are prepared to go the distance. Uh, and if this sounds exhausting, well, it, it can be. If you know how crazy this can be, it's easier to move through the process. And, and the process is slow, but it does work. So let's jump into a, a real example. This was a case we wrapped up after about two years of intense motion practice. And we, we had spent 12 months just gathering evidence before the case was even filed. The case settled two weeks before trial in the judge's chambers. Now, our client is one of uh, the largest California-based studios. The chairman, who I'd become friends with over the years, uh, had become personally involved, and he was just exhausted. He had things going on in his personal life that happened to hit just as we were gearing for trial. And the personal issues absolutely needed to his, his full attention, but he couldn't let this case go. Since he wanted to be involved, he, he was making himself sick. So I told him, look, the best way I could help you was get you out of this case while making sure at the very least the studio recouped its cost to date. So I will tell you that our settlement was for significantly more, and luckily we were able to end it. 
So what did it require in terms of casework? Well, like I said, we had the preparation of the case. This takes time. Uh, you need your evidence and ideally as much information as you can gain up front. Uh, so again, in these instances, we've spent years gathering evidence on a site or a network uh, and their operators. In instances, we've had to uh, use court-ordered discovery to find out who and where those operators are, and that takes time in itself. So you figure three to 13 months for prep and filing. And now that you have your case filed, you need to serve it on someone. So you may need that early discovery to determine who and where that someone is, and and that could take a few months. Uh, Then you have service. And if they're overseas, you may need to have that lawsuit translated into their home language and then served. And service in another country can take five months or longer. It's about 45 days after that for a response. If at all, they'll respond to that initial complaint, and then you'll reply to their response. And at some point there, there should be a ruling from a judge, and it may get dismissed right there. Now, if it's dismissed, you can appeal it and go through that process. But if it's not dismissed, typically there's a motion and another reply and another response and another ruling. And now you're in what's called discovery. And this is where you can request documents from the other side uh, or admissions and vice versa. Depositions take place in this window as well. But, but a lot of paper can change hands. This period, by the way, can be weaponized to create a ton of work for either party and in turn rack up huge bills. In this case that I'm, that I'm articulating, we submitted over 600 discovery requests. We had overwhelming evidence, but had questions on every single piece of them. We wanted their answers to create a lockbox and just literally lock them in to what we believed we had them in. So then there's production that goes back and forth. They may uh, want to limit or you may want to limit the scope of discovery saying, hey, that's too many requests or that's not pertinent to the case. And remember, someone has to go through all of that and an attorney needs to review it. So there's going to be clocks running and bills running for all of that. Then a reply, responses, a ruling, maybe some more production, uh, motion, reply, response, ruling, appeal. Now, uh, at this point in this case, we attempted negotiation. Uh, the negotiation lasted about four minutes and, and it's, I'll, I'll take responsibility. It's my fault. It didn't work. It was my fault. We walked in and the pirate operator wasn't happy that I was friendly. We all sat down. I said, hello. I asked how his flight was. (laughs) He told me to go fuck myself, got up and walked out. Uh, Now, I should add that this person and I had a history. He had previously made himself clear. He was upset that I was doing this to him, that I was costing him money, that I wanted him to stop making money. And yes, he wanted to hit me. He was also pissed that I had turned two now former employees into witnesses who shared all in their declarations and their declarations confirmed what we knew to be true and argued in the case. Uh, Look, the walls were closing in on them and and that's when caged animals really start showing uh, their colors. Now, remember at the beginning when I was talking about cultural differences, he's from Eastern Europe. Now he was, he descends from there. He wasn't uh, raised there, but his, his parents were and, and he, hear what he was telling me. I was responsible for this issue. This had nothing to do with the fact that he was stealing, selling, and making millions of dollars a year from pirating content. Next came another motion, a response, a reply, a ruling, and then we had a trial schedule. And then we had what's called a pretrial settlement conference. And this was where, after two years, the other side agreed to our terms at the same amount we wanted when we started. Now, this required me to to be humble. Um, I had to let this other person uh, share what he wanted to do to me, uh, to get colorful and rude. 
Uh, he wanted certain terms and future limitations, especially as it involved me and my company and him. In the end, he felt like he got a deal. He got the best of me. So he thinks, and so what? We got exactly what we wanted. And a trial didn't happen. And if it did, it would have gone at least a week. And I'll tell you that one side or the other would have appealed it, and that would have added another year or so, and, and then maybe we would have had an outcome. So the, the last key item is pretty important because for whatever reason in certain industries we see this. If you win, if you don't settle and you win a judgment, uh, now is not the time to slow down. The situation may require you to physically go collect, and that's not the time to step down. Now, this will start another cycle, but it's worth it. Many times, clients want to slow down or stop after a judgment. They spent vast amounts of time and money and energy to get a successful outcome, only to stop and not collect. You may be thinking, why? That seems silly. Well, the typical reason is they're punched out. They're just exhausted. We have a $12.8 million judgment where we've identified personal assets in Australia. Client doesn't want to go to Australia or deal with the legal system in Australia. Uh, we've got another one, $5.4 million, and we've identified assets in the U.S. and Spain. The bulk of them are in Spain. We're going to move on the piddly ones in the U.S., but Spain's where it's at. Client doesn't want to go to Spain. And when I say that, I mean that they don't want to retain counsel in Spain and go through the system uh, and register the judgment and do everything that you need to do in order to try and collect. They're just, they're exhausted. Um, we've got another one that, that involves New York and Cyprus we're dealing with right now. Here it is. Don't let the fear get the best of your business sense. Uh, don't let temporary exhaustion get the best of your business sense. If someone has money to take and they owe you and you have a judgment, by all means, go take it. Remember how it felt when you realized that they stole your work? Yeah, again, hold on to that feeling and get what you're fucking owed. If you're still here, you now have an idea of what you need to be prepped for. As I wrap up this episode, please walk away with these points. Your goal should be getting out of a lawsuit as fast as possible. You can control timetables as a plaintiff or as a defendant. If you're not controlling a timetable or looking for a way to control the timetable, you're potentially losing. Don't allow someone to milk you. Running into a fire without calling the fire department will get you burned, meaning be prepared. Try to stay neutral with someone on the other side so that you can leave the possibility of settlement open at any time. Understand you're in a long play. Make sure the other side knows that you are prepared to go however long it takes. Hear me. Make sure the other side knows you are prepared to go however long it takes. Make sure your case is financially viable. Don't threaten litigation. If someone threatens you, tell them to actually sue you and stop contact until they do. Hopefully this is helpful to you. If this podcast is helpful, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I, I really appreciate and I enjoy reading all of them. If you would like to join in on the conversation or have questions, join our free Facebook group at Intellectual Property HQ Community. And if you need any of the tools that we have, feel free to go to Intellectual Property HQ. Happy hunting. Jason Tucker is not an attorney. All of the information shared on this free podcast is his opinion and not legal advice. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. See you next time.